Hello, listeners. Alistair here. Welcome back to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. Here, we talk about the strange rituals that guide our everyday lives. Some ward off bad luck, and others bring good fortune. Many of these practices we participate in consciously and intentionally, but there are others we may not even know the origins of. Cue the wedding bells, because in today's episode, we're here to celebrate. Whether you love them or hate them, weddings are a major part of our lives, and weddings are full of superstitions. There's the white dress in European cultures, red in East and South Asian ones. There's the buried bottle of bourbon if you're in the American South. The ceremony itself is a veritable pile of rituals and most of them are to ensure the marriage goes well. So grab some champagne and find your table, because today we're talking about something that you might not know is a superstition. It lingers on cocktail tables, shoots through the air during send-offs, and makes for amazing photos. Confetti. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, we'll meet a couple who wants to defy tradition and the mother-in-law who gets in their way. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers and industries there was a lot of excitement there was a lot of skepticism the impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning from the journal trillion dollar shot find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts you likely know confetti as something more celebratory than superstitious after all it's just fun little paper or plastic discs spinning through the air but its origins are actually a bit more tasty. First, there's the word itself. Confetti, in Italian, actually translates to sweets. Before the 19th century, Italians used this word to refer to medicinal treats made by coating specific nuts and seeds with sugar, kind of like sugar-coated pills. Somewhere along the line, these were handed out as wedding favors, This became so popular that the Italian phrase mangiare i confetti, literally to eat confetti, is an idiom that means to attend a wedding. And these confetti weren't just for eating, they were for throwing too. It's thought that this started with the ancient Romans, who would crumble wheat cakes over a bride's head. The Celts had a similar practice, only with rice and millet. But Italian sweets literally confetti, weren't cheap. At one point, they were replaced with fake plaster versions. But those hurt. And so did the British practice of using uncooked rice. By the turn of the 20th century, confetti transformed into the paper kind we know today. Though it's easy to overlook, all this confetti did have an original purpose. Those ancient Romans crumbling cakes, And those Celts throwing grains? They were all doing it for a superstitious reason. To ensure a fruitful marriage. 
because for some, like our character today, marriage must lead to a baby. Muriel was only one sip into her champagne when her future daughter-in-law said the most horrible thing imaginable, that she wasn't having children. Muriel dropped her glass. All she'd ever wanted was to be a grandmother. She'd been thrilled when her oldest son Stephen finally proposed to Jane. Now, Jane wouldn't exactly have been Muriel's first choice, given her wrist tattoos and purple-streaked hair, but at least she was young and still had time. Muriel had even lovingly thrown them this engagement party, but here Jane was, saying she was getting her tubes tied. Muriel asked them if they had truly thought about it. Stephen said something about overpopulation, that Jane hadn't originally believed in marriage, that taxes suck you right into the system excuses. If it was about money, Muriel said, she could help. She'd already bought Stephen a condo in Lincoln Park with a view of Lake Michigan, but she could do more. They could live with her if they needed more room or a yard. No, they both said. And quickly too. They really weren't thinking anything through, Muriel thought. Kids these days were too quick to make drastic decisions. Jane tried to lay a hand on Muriel's arm, telling her that it was the best thing for them. But Muriel pulled away. She could feel her eyes welling with tears. She blinked them back and asked for another glass of champagne. She didn't want to be upset at her son's engagement party. We'll continue this conversation another time, she said. Only the conversation couldn't be continued. Every time Muriel offered to treat them to lunch or take Jane dress shopping or even just pop by to feed the cat, they were busy or it wasn't a good time. It was clear their minds would not be changed about the tube tying. Muriel would have to find another solution. So she gabbed to a friend at a book club. The friend recommended her wedding planner. She handed Muriel a thick business card with Alicia.com printed in letterpress. Muriel told her that it wasn't about the ceremony, she'd already offered to plan it herself. But the friend told her Alicia was different, more like a, um, a wedding whisperer, she said. She'd solve all her problems, including the grandkids. Like, she'll change their minds, Muriel asked. Her friend nodded, yes. But Muriel should hurry up, she said. Alicia's schedule fills up fast. Muriel got in her car and drove to the address in Highland Park where they would do their first consultation. The house was more like an estate with an iron gate and a long driveway. As Muriel drove up, the grass on either side seemed to brighten, as if anticipating Muriel's arrival. She knocked on the door. Inside, she could hear the bridal march echo through the house. Moments later, an assistant ushered her inside. Muriel gaped in awe at the great marble hall. She was handed a pamphlet with a list of packages and prices. There was the all-in destination wedding gold package, a wedding-only silver package, and a month-of package that was deemed bronze. The stationery was beautiful, perfect. The prices, on the other hand, well, they were rather absurd. But Muriel had been putting away for this for years, and if it got her a grandkid, then it would be worth it. As she waited, she walked around the entranceway and looked at the various photos on the wall. 
There was a picture of a rainy wedding morning, another of a veil, one of a couple crossing the threshold, and one of a bride's lucky something blue. Beyond the staircase, she spotted a door with the words, invitation only on it. She walked closer and pressed her ear up against it, wondering if this famous Alicia was inside. She couldn't hear anything, but was tempted to open it. Muriel heard someone coming and jumped back from the door. She scurried back to the center of the hallway to see a woman walking down the stairs. Alicia was tall, very tall, with jet black and perfectly curled hair. She wore a smart-looking St. John's suit and tall black heels, Louboutins, Muriel noted. She could tell by their expensive red soles. Muriel, so lovely to meet you, Alicia said. She stuck out her hand. Her nails were perfectly manicured in a chic, dark red. Muriel glanced at the invites-only room, wondering if they would head in there. But instead, Alicia directed her into a sun-filled parlor. She handed Muriel a second copy of the package list, as well as a portfolio of prior weddings. A politician's daughter she recognized from the magazines was on the cover. You have paid the consultation deposit, yes? Muriel nodded. Then let's get down to business, shall we? Alicia began describing her vision for her clients' weddings, about how it wasn't just about the color of the flowers or the chair selection, it was about setting the tone for the marriage. She crafted each and every wedding to the family's desire for their lifestyle. As Alicia spoke, Muriel felt more and more drawn into her. Muriel's hands prickled with excitement. Groom's mothers are my speciality. So tell me, Muriel, what does your son's perfect marriage look like for you? Finally, somebody asked her what she wanted. Muriel spilled instantly how she felt marriage was about building a family and how her son and her daughter-in-law were planning on defying it. Alicia smiled knowingly. Then she stood up and very seriously said, follow me. Muriel did as she was told. Alicia led her back to the hallway. An assistant appeared with a clipboard and a pen. First, I need you to sign a confidentiality agreement, Alicia said. Many of my clients would prefer this part of my service to be discreet. Muriel said, of course, though she grew a little more nervous as she signed on the dotted line. Their task completed. The assistant disappeared. Alicia paused for a brief moment, then snapped her fingers. All of the shutters in the house closed. Alicia clicked her Louboutins together and the invitation-only door opened. White light from the room glowed into the hall. You may head in, she said. Muriel's whole body tingled. She didn't know why. It was just like the feeling she had when she was about to purchase a new pair of shoes or take a perfect roast out of the oven, like something good was about to happen. The room was beautiful, fertile with spectacular wedding photos of confetti cannons and grand exits. A shelf lining the wall held jars of different types of confetti, all sorts of colors, shapes, and materials, and even smells, Muriel realized, as she read one of the descriptive plaques. Alicia directed her to open it. She twisted the cap and was hit with a pungent odor of frankincense and peppermint. That's one of our strongest, Alicia said, for extra reassurance. Muriel asked what she meant by that. 
she tapped her heels again. As she did, the photos appeared to brighten. I am descended from a rare line of fertility witches, she said. Once upon a time, we broke cakes over a bride's head or tossed wheat and rice. This was not just to provide a festive atmosphere, although it is always one of my priorities. It was also to guarantee a fruitful marriage. But today, crumbling bread doesn't deliver quite the same lavish effect, so we use a confetti toss to activate the magic. Muriel laughed politely at what she thought was a joke, but Alicia gave her a quizzical look. You're serious? asked Muriel, startled. Alicia smiled. I take my job very seriously. After all, a wedding may only last a single day, but the fruit it bears is everlasting. Alicia went on to explain her confetti package. Muriel would pay depending on how difficult she thought it would be for the bride to get pregnant. She would choose both her confetti and the method of release. It would be a small toss or table decoration, but if she wanted an extra boost, she could use a cannon. If you are sure that this is what you want for your son's union, I can make that happen. You will need to do a few things to ensure the magic functions properly. Details come after purchase. But otherwise, my confetti package comes with a 100% guarantee. Are you interested? Muriel glanced at one of the photos on the wall, the daughter of a prominent politician. It was taken on the dance floor. The bride and groom stood in the center, confetti surrounding them. Magazine covers had told Muriel the bride was pregnant with her fourth. A 100% guarantee, Muriel asked. I've had some brides pregnant by the following morning, Alicia said. Muriel pulled out her checkbook. I'll take as much confetti as I can get. Coming up, we'll attend a wedding that ends with a pop. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Muriel booked Alicia, marking the expense as witch fertility. But though she hid this detail from Stephen and Jane, it had not been easy to convince them Alicia was necessary. Why would they need a celebrity wedding planner if they were happy with the courthouse? They argued. 
Jane kept adding that weddings are a predatory capitalist institution, and they especially weren't thrilled with the end-of-night confetti toss, asking questions about cleanup and its effect on the environment. But they came around eventually especially when Muriel offered to pay for and plan a honeymoon in the British Virgin Islands. And thank goodness, if this confetti magic worked, Muriel would have grandkids very soon. The day of the wedding arrived, Muriel was on edge, especially since, according to Alicia, it wasn't just about the confetti. Three other things had to be in place for the confetti magic to work. One, the bride had to be wearing white. No pink, no blue, not even that floral prints thing that Monique Lulier made in vogue. So Muriel took Jane dress shopping and paid for what she thought she'd like. 2. The bride and groom had to do the cake smash. This is always the trickiest, Alicia had said, because some brides don't want to mess up their makeup, but it's an ode to the days of crumbling wheat cakes over their heads. Magic appreciates it when you respect tradition. So Muriel talked them into doing it, telling Jane it was an anti-wedding trend. And three, at the end of the night, there was the matter of the confetti itself. The plan was to hand out individual poppers to each of the guests. They would line up right outside the ballroom. Then, as the couple made their grand exit, they'd pull them open and confetti would shower Stephen and Jane. Alicia reiterated this the morning of the wedding. She was wearing all black, her red-soled shoes, and a small Prada fanny pack. Some brides get pregnant instantly, just like that, she said, snapping her fingers. She pulled a popper out of her bag, then another, then another, like Mary Poppins. Soon, there was a hundred total. Make sure all the guests grab one, she said. They all need them for it to work. Two hours before the ceremony, Muriel took the elevator to the bridal suite. Jane hadn't specifically invited her to dress together, but Muriel thought she'd swing by just in case Jane needed anything. Hello, it's your future mother-in-law. Just wanted to check in. It took a few extra knocks for the door to open, but eventually Jane's sister greeted Muriel and let her into the suite. Jane was still in the bedroom, dressing. Muriel helped herself to a seat and a glass of champagne. I'd love to see the dress reveal, she said. Jane seemed hesitant to come out. Muriel assured her it would be fine, it was just wedding day jitters. But Jane took her sweet time dressing. It wasn't until they were only 30 minutes away from the ceremony that Jane finally came out. It was black. Muriel gasped. This was not at all what they had purchased. No, 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 she said. You cannot wear this. Jane tried to explain that this was more her personality. There was at least a strip of white on top. But Muriel wasn't going to listen. Alicia had specifically said white. She raced out of the room and took the elevator to the bottom floor. After a few minutes of searching, Muriel found the cleaning staff and laundry room. Bleach, she demanded. When nobody moved, she added, Or my grandchildren will die. A housekeeper scrambled for a jug, asking if she should call 911. Muriel grabbed it, saying she just needed the Clorox. It was 15 minutes before the ceremony, so Muriel hiked up her gown and ran as fast as she could to the garden room. Alicia was already lining the wedding party up. She found Jane immediately, sitting on a couch, 
drinking a cause. Muriel took the beer out of her hand, told her to stand up, and poured bleach all over her dress. Jane's jaw dropped. Alicia's too. You'll thank me in 20 years, Muriel said. Jane seemed ready to yell when Alicia snapped her fingers. The gross Clorox stains faded into a perfect shade of white. Jane looked to Alicia and opened her mouth to protest. The wedding planner Alicia snapped again. Jane blinked, disoriented. Time to walk. Let's go, people, Alicia said. The ceremony was beautiful. Alicia had nailed the decor. A white floral arch framed the lawn, candles lined the sides, and while Jane might not have liked her last-minute dress change, she sure looked radiant walking down the aisle. But when the officiant spoke of Jane and Stephen, of their modern marriage, Muriel couldn't help fiddling with the petals of her corsage. She was nervous, and she wasn't sure why. When he talked about how much Stephen loved Jane for who she was, Muriel untied the bow. And when he mentioned Jane's thesis on the separation of women from their ovaries, Muriel plucked the whole flower off. She walked back down the aisle, her son married, but now feeling uncomfortable with what she was doing. After all, having kids was a big decision. Alicia interrupted her thoughts. What happened to your corsage? Muriel told her it was just nerves. Alicia put her hand on Muriel's shoulder. Stay the course she said. Alicia was right. Muriel did know what was best for them. So she went on through the reception with her original plan. Only, she could see how much Jane and Stephen loved each other during their first dance. She could see how much they loved each other during the speeches. She could see how much they loved each other when they cut the cake, and then again when they did the cake smash. They kissed. Jane had frosting on her cheek, she spoke about how much she loved Stephen, how her parents had divorced when she was little. She had never forgiven them, she said, and had always thought they shouldn't have had her. She'd fallen in love with Stephen when he said he was okay with her plan to be childless. Love is between two people, she said. It is not an obligation to breed. Oh no, Muriel thought. She couldn't force a kid on them. They clearly needed to be just the two of them, nothing more. That's what was best. Muriel had to undo everything. She fled the reception and found the banquet kitchen, begging for the largest vat of coffee they could find. Don't make me call the manager, she said. She returned to the reception with two large containers and poured coffee all over the bride. This time, Jane yelled. Hot, hot, hot! What are you doing? Muriel apologized for the dress and then took a cloth to Jane's face. I have to get every inch of that cake off, she said, just in case. Suddenly, the MC announced the last song, told the guests to grab the poppers and head to the exit to send the bride and groom off. Muriel's heart pounded. She couldn't let this last part happen. She ran to the exit, scooped up all the poppers from the table and threw them in the trash. Alicia grabbed her. She tried to pull more out of her fanny pack, but Muriel grabbed it. I'm cancelling, she yelled. For a brief moment, Alicia looked afraid. She put up her hands and stepped back. Suddenly, the band cut out. 
The bride and groom were coming. Muriel sighed and wiped the sweat off her forehead. No poppers for the guests. She'd undone it. And for the last time tonight, introducing the new Mr. and Mrs. Suddenly, two cannons went off on either side of the ballroom doors. Stephen and Jane were showered with confetti as they walked through. Muriel shrieked. That had not been the plan. And as Jane walked by, Muriel could see a small bump forming underneath her dress. Muriel had ruined her. What have you done? She asked Alicia. Alicia smiled. You ordered. I delivered. 100% guarantee, remember? She clicked her heels together just to make it stick. Muriel arrived at the wedding brunch completely sleep-deprived. She tossed and turned all night thinking about what to do. By the morning, she decided she had only one option. She found Jane by the tea station, pressing her hand to her stomach. Jane, she said, tapping her on the shoulder. I need to speak with you. I'm afraid I have done something horrible. Jane sprinkled sugar into her tea, like ruin my dress. Twice, Muriel sighed. Worse, she said, glancing at her belly. Suddenly, Jane looked mortified. Flustered, she pulled Muriel into the hallway. How did you know? Muriel spilled everything. About Alicia, about the magical confetti, about how she had mortgaged her house and sold her car to pay for it. About how all she ever wanted was for Stephen to be happy. She tried not to cry, but couldn't help it. I will help you take care of this baby, she said. I'll be over every day. I'll buy its clothing and diapers and help you pick out preschools, save for college. Jane screamed, enough. I'm going to put aside the whole you hired a wedding planner to get me pregnant thing for a moment and say this. We were already pregnant. Muriel glanced at Jane's stomach again. She was close enough that she could see just how round it was. Probably 14, maybe 15 weeks along. She supposed it was a bit ridiculous to think that magic could have happened so quickly. Jane continued. We told you we didn't want to have kids, not because we didn't want them, but because we didn't want you breathing down our necks. Muriel froze. Suddenly, she felt very aware of her body and where she was standing. She was very close to Jane and her stomach. Muriel took a step back. I'm sorry, she said, tears welling up in her eyes. But I'm going to be a grandma. Jane sighed. Yes, but first, you might want to find Alicia, she said, and ask for your money back. Today, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find someone getting married that knows about the actual superstition behind confetti. And while some couples might get hitched while itching for a baby, others may not want one at all, or have zero desire for immediate fertility. But confetti is still very popular. A quick search on wedding websites and blogs will tell you that there are multiple ways to use confetti. From table decor, to something guests can toss, to a full-on confetti cannon. For most, it's just a celebratory tradition that makes for good photos, but at what cost? Confetti isn't necessarily cheap, 
and it's just one component of the celebration. Today, the average American wedding costs over $30,000. On the high end, wedding budgets go into a six-figure range, maybe even higher. In thinking about the confetti's origins, it's easy to see these roots. Because traditional confetti were expensive to make, something of a status symbol, not unlike many components of a wedding celebration today. You probably don't need to toss confetti for a fruitful marriage, nor do you need the wedding at all. So when you're planning your big day, keep this in mind when setting up your party favors. It may be that the symbolism of your wedding decor doesn't align with your personal values or intentions, and you don't want to get stuck with buyer's remorse. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Superstitions was written by Stacey Nemec, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. <laughs>